Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I do thank you for the opportunity, Pastor, to be able to come and share with you what God is doing there in Panama. Um, I've been on the field for about three years now, and about six months ago, the Lord started to work through uh, a revival, um, and I mean it in its truest sense. We often picture revival as scheduled meetings or people getting saved or um, evangelistic crusades. That's, that's not revival. That's the byproduct of revival. Revival is the reviving presence of Jesus Christ manifested among His people. And so this ministry took off and was born out of a revival, this outpouring that I'm seeing with the refugees. Um, for about four and a half months, um, the Lord actually led me about five or six months ago to the key man for the ministry. Um, one of the things I adopted early on going to the mission field um, and canvassing an area that God had called me to specifically, which is up against the, the jungle on the border of Colombia, um, was not to just, in a sense, when you go to an area that has not been reached or has very little people there, um, or no churches at all, you have to early on distinguish between somebody who wants to learn about Christ and somebody who wants to follow Christ. And your ministry will grow faster if you invest your time in those who want to follow Christ, even though you don't have the time to invest in all the people that are curious about Christ. And one thing that I also adopted early on was to pray that the Lord would lead me to the key man of the ministry first, the man that would take over the work right away. And that way I would cut that time off of the ministry and be able to plant more churches faster. And the Lord did that about six or eight months ago. Um, and then uh, we started the work about five months ago. Um, the man, his name is Chongo. He's from the Embera people, a group of indigenous people that live. Um, they're from the jungle. They came when Panama was part of Colombia. Um, they separated and then they moved. The um, native people moved into this area of Panama, which is in the jungle region. Um, so they're called the Embera people, and he is uh, one of them. And he has a great influence among all the the villages, the Embera villages. He's well known among them. Just from the testimony that he had, he got saved about 15 years ago, but the pastor that was going to disciple him uh, had to move away, and so he would study the Bible little by little and just take whatever he knew up the river and teach whatever community he could get to with the fuel, the money that he had to. But no one had ever actually discipled him, and the Lord led me to him, and we connected. The Lord knit our hearts together, and um, I've been discipling him and his family for four months, and um, I took the... Uh, the um, some materials to an area to teach on the purpose of the local church. The New Tribes Missions uh, did a great work there about 30 years ago. Um, they translated the Bible into the Embraer language, but they operated from a convention-style mentality, an organizational business-like structure. And so what happened was um, when they pulled out, they no longer had the funds to send laborers into the villages, and then another convention came and took over and then began taking control of the people and then pretty soon, men would just come and collect offerings from the poor indigenous people in the jungle, and then they would live in Panama City, and they would come back and take the money, and they would come back, and all the churches collapsed about 10 years ago. And so I took the uh, materials that um, I had written on the purpose of the local church and, the, and the, um, the autonomy of the local church and what that was supposed to look like at Jesus Christ as the head of the church, and the church is not to be under the control of any man or any boss or anything like that, and um, when I was in this home, it was amazing. Another missionary from the U.S. was there, and a local missionary came with me. And we were teaching in the home, and you could just, the presence of God was manifested in such a real way that day that he just revived the work 
that had once been lost. And it was just absolutely amazing what God did that night. Um, and so we consider, and I consider this ministry have started through the revival. The next day I was able to baptize the first two members of the first ever independent Baptist church among the Embra people in their 240 year history there in Panama. And that's a big deal for them because they had always been governed by men and they never understood the idea of independence and that the money for the church was supposed to stay with the church and how that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and man is not and they are to be free in Christ and have that individual soul liberty and the ability to make decisions for that local body. And the Lord really used that teaching in a magnificent way. And so that family, I began discipling them. And so now there's two core families um, that have are are in the discipleship process now, and they're getting ready to go through another five-month program while I'm here back in the States with the help of another person. And that program is very intense. It's six days a week, starts at 4 a.m. in the morning, goes to 7 o'clock at night. And they'll do that for five months and, and learn about what it's like to plant and what it's like to harvest and, and everything in between and go from creation to Christ through the Bible and get an indigenous perspective for discipleship as well. So... Um, when I come back, I'll go into advanced discipleship for another three months, and then that'll be a year solid that these two families have had of discipleship, and then we'll start the first church service. So I'm kind of doing it backwards. I'm not starting a church and then looking to disciple people. The Lord has led me to the core group first, and then we'll start the church when they're done being discipled. That way, as soon as new people come, or if the Lord moves me off the field, the church can function by itself without my help. They'll already be trained, and they'll already know how to reach other people. And um, it's just all around, to me, a better method in that specific area. And so, as the pastor mentioned, I'm the only um, person in that area. I'm the only missionary doing this in the area. I'm the only Caucasian in the area. And so I, I stand out like a sore thumb among the indigenous people. And um, they're down here, and I'm up here. And it's just uh, it's quite a relationship. It's wonderful what God has done. But taking Bibles to um, another community, and now the next focus, the next phase of the ministry on the church planning side, is to go into the areas where there was once churches, the leaders of those churches still remain, that have been praying that God would send somebody to help revive the old work. And so I'm, I'm now looking for the key men in different villages. And so in that process, I was taking a, um, a box of Bibles up, to, um, up a river to another community, and I came across a refugee camp that was kind of hidden away tucked away um, back towards the jungle side um, where I'm working. And it was just, I was in shock. I, I came down this road, this small road, and there were some checkpoints. Didn't think anything of it. And next thing I know, there's people from all over the world. In that camp, um, there was probably over 1,500 people in this area that had been passing through the jungle and coming into where I'm working at. Now what's happening is, um, because of political oppression and um, wars in different countries, people are flying into Ecuador because of their open visa policy, going up through Colombia, and then they're hiking through the Darien jungle for seven to ten days, and then they come out through the jungle in the exact area that God has me in. And so um, it's just absolutely incredible what God is doing. There's, um, as I said, people from all over the world there, about 27 different nations they have logged that have passed through these camps, and um, hundreds will come in um, one day and leave the next and transfer to another refugee camp that's on the Costa Rican side where they're staged, and as the government from other countries permit certain people to move through, then they give them permission to move on. But 
Um, when the people come to me, when the people arrive to where I'm at, they've gone through a lot. The people specifically from Cameroon, they've watched their people die in their home country. The French are oppressing the English-speaking side right now. If, they're, if you're politically affiliated in the country, they'll shoot you on the spot and ask questions later. I've met young men whose brothers and sisters and mother and father have been killed right in front of them, and they've, only, they've been the only one to escape, and now they're orphans. I've met people that have watched their family's home set on fire and, or be butchered with machetes, and, and they go through that, and then they get to the jungle, and we call them coyotes. The coyotes are the ones that take them through the jungle, and they pay these people a great deal of money to take them and guide them through the jungle, only to find out that they get a little ways in, and their money is gone, and the coyotes leave, and now they're at the hands of the cartel in Colombia. And so they're robbed by the Colombian cartel. Um, I've met women that have been assaulted by men with AK-47s and machetes, and, and um, people that have been cut and stabbed and shot and everything else in between. Um, and then they get to the Panama side, and whatever things they were able to hide, they're then robbed by the Indians in the, the jungle on the, the Panamanian side. And then if they survive that, then they make it to the camp. They hike through the jungle for seven to ten days without any clean water, without any food, without any rain gear, with nothing. They're bitten by snakes. They're dying on the trails. They have infections in their feet. They can't go any further. Their group leaves them. The cartel finds them. The cartel kills them. And then there's people, when they get to the camp, they have PTSD. They can barely function. Some are so sick they can barely stand up. They have malaria. They have infections. And they're at their worst state they have ever been at in their entire life. They're completely broken. And there's someone there that God has put to tell them in their language, and the people of Cameroon, that God loves them and God has not forgotten them and He still has a plan for them. And what they went through was not meant to break them, but was meant to build them up to be somebody that they never thought they could be. And that God has allowed them to escape the snare of the enemy because He loves them and has a plan for them. And part of that plan is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you move from the realm of, of facts into being a living demonstration of the God's redemptive plan on this earth. And it's just magnificent to see how the people respond. And one thing I do is even though they're suffering, I don't offer them anything. I don't offer them food or water or clothing or anything. I just preach the Gospel when I first meet them. And then their response has been absolutely amazing. As I was telling your pastor earlier, I was in a 14-week stretch. I watched over 530 people accept Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. And just their hearts are just, it's just, they're so ready, specifically with the people of Cameroon. Um, as I told your pastor as well in the foyer, um, I was able to give the gospel to a group of ISIS terrorists. Four of them were arrested in Guatemala four weeks later after I gave them the gospel and they were on the, on the news on BBC, Judicial Watch, and then several of the major news outlets in the United States. Um, these men, I, I knew them. I was face-to-face. -face. I gave them water. I gave them tracts. And I, I talked with them. And um, the Lord has allowed me to give the gospel to people that I never would be able to give the gospel. I, I could never go to Egypt or Syria or Iraq or Yemen or any of those places and witness to these people. But God has brought them in through the camps and brought them in this way. And... Um, the response has been absolutely amazing. And as I said before and stated in the video, specifically with the people from Cameroon, Africa, they come from a Presbyterian and a Catholic background, and they can quote many of the verses that I quote to them, but no one has ever tied it together in Romans 5.12, where the Bible says, For death came by sin, and death passed upon all men, 
and for all of sin. No one has ever shown them that because they have sin nature, they're automatically disqualified from offering good works for their salvation. And no one has ever tied that end for them together. And when you get to that point and you build up on it, then they just the light clicks on and their whole countenance changes and they realize, I cannot earn my way to heaven by anything that I do. And that they've been fooled this whole time, even though I don't point that out. But they just immediately are willing to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And um, it's just amazing what God has been doing there. And again, I thank you for the opportunity to come here and share a little bit of that with you. Um, and I'll share a couple um, stories with you. But right now, we'll just turn to Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. I am just absolutely amazed. We know our Lord is merciful and compassionate to the lost, but to see His mercy and compassion to these people firsthand has just been absolutely incredible. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 10. Um, The Bible says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, you word, which is this the dispensation we're living in, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now remember, the disciples were trained under Christ's earthly ministry, but Paul was trained under Christ's heavenly ministry. And there are things that God revealed to the Apostle Paul that he did not reveal to the disciples. And one of them being the mystery that we're getting ready to go into. And verse 4 says, Whereby when you read that you may know, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am the least of all saints... Is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world that hath been hidden God, who has created all things by Christ. We hear a lot about the local church. We know a lot about the local church. We know a lot about the body of Christ. We could fill up this auditorium with all the Bible doctrine and the books and the textbooks of everything written about the church. But Christ sums it up. The Lord sums it up. God sums it up. In verse 10, with one verse, the purpose, to the intent now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known by the church, what? The manifold wisdom of God. Paul tells us, when the mystery of the body of Christ was revealed to him, one of its highest functions and purpose was to manifest the wisdom of God in heavenly places. You understand that what we do here on earth echoes into eternity. The spiritual realm is completely aware of this church, is completely aware of this members, the the, the demonic powers, the the spiritual darkness, they have already analyzed you, they know where you live, they know who you are, they know what you like, they know what you don't like, and they know your intention here tonight is is to cooperate and participate in God's plan of redemption in this world, is to manifest the presence of Jesus Christ in the among the lost in the form of a local church the visible body of Jesus Christ. 
And the visible body of Christ is designed to not only impact what goes here on earth, but in the spiritual realm, in the unseen realm, to manifest the wisdom of God. To manifest the wisdom of God. To give Him glory not only here, but up there as well as we speak. There is a a lady that, um, a man that I actually led to the Lord. I was preaching to a small group of people. And during this day, it was incredible what God did. I would preach to one or two people, then five people would gather around, then 10, then 15, then 20, then 30, then 40, then 50, then 60 people. Next thing I know, I'm just surrounded by this huge group of people and they're listening to me preach the gospel of Christ. And it was just amazing to see them respond. And, and that day I was just wore out. I preached for like four hours straight and it was over 100 degrees out. I didn't have anything to drink. Um, my tongue felt like beef jerky. If you ever got to that point, you know it's pretty bad. But the Lord said, you know what, it's time to go. And there are days because of the spiritual warfare that takes place in the camp that when the Lord says it's time to go, you need to get out of there. You need to shut it down. You need to leave for whatever reason. And he said, it's time to go. As I made my way to the top of the camp, um, the Lord said, now preach here. And so I began preaching. Um, There wasn't anybody around, but then I started preaching. And then some people came from the water tank that was there, getting some, filling up their jugs of water. And there's a small group that started listening to me, and then I was able to lead um, the group of men to the Lord. And one of them said, I need to get my sister. I said, okay. He said, she's dying of malaria. She's down at the bottom of the camp. I need to get her. And I said, ah, don't worry about it. You know, you don't have to bring her up here. It's 100 degrees out, you know, and I know what it takes to get from the bottom of the camp to the top of the camp. And he goes, no, I, I need to get her. And I was like, seriously, you don't. I mean, you don't have to worry about it. He goes, no, I need to bring my sister to you. And I said, okay. And so he, uh, he went down, he left. I didn't know um, if I would see him or when I would see him, but I waited there. I waited 45 minutes for what should have taken about 10 minutes. And here he comes dragging his sister up the hill. And um, she had been turned down by the hospital twice. They told her there was nothing left that they could do for her. They said, we can't help you any further. You are probably going to die. And so he's dragging her up. She could barely walk. And I put down my tailgate and she sat down. And I remember putting my hand on her shoulder and it was ice cold. And she could barely keep her eyes open. And I talked to her and I said, you know, you're not just physically sick, but according to God's word, you're spiritually sick as well. I said, I would like to show you how you can be whole, how you can be complete spiritually should you pass. And I said, would you like to see, the, see those verses? And she said, yes. And we was, I was able to go through the plan of salvation with her. And I said, based on what you've seen, do you see a need for Jesus Christ? And she said, yes. And I said, would you like to accept him as your Lord and Savior today? And she said, absolutely. And so we prayed and she received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And I said, you know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 5 to, to bring the sick before the elders of the church. And I said, I believe in laying on hands. I believe that Jesus Christ can heal people and still does heal people today. And I said, but you need to have faith. We see time and time again that Jesus Christ says, thy faith has made you whole. Your faith is what makes you whole. And I said, we can pray right now, but if you don't have the faith that he can heal you, you won't be healed. But if you believe, if you cry out to him, he'll heal you. And I said, would you like to do that? And she said, absolutely. So I laid hands and prayed on her right then and there. And, and um, she was pretty bad, and so she left. Um, I didn't know if I would see her again. But I kept praying for her. 
Two weeks later, I was at the other refugee camp on the border of Costa Rica, and she came running up to me with a big smile on her face. He said, Pastor, 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 God healed me, God healed me. And I said, praise the Lord, praise God. I said, what happened? What, what, what took place? She said, that night I went and laid down, and everybody around me I could hear saying, oh, she's going to die. She's not going to make it through the night. And they were whispering. She goes, my body felt like a corpse. And she goes, I don't know what happened. But she said, around 3 o'clock in the morning, she said, God gave me the strength to get up. And so I got up, and I walked to the edge of the camp by the river. And I looked up, and I saw all these beautiful stars out before me. And she looked up at the stars, and she said, God, I know that you can heal me, and I believe that you will make me better. And she, after she said that, she felt like the Lord led her to go lay back down. And she laid back down. She said moments later, there was a great pain over her entire body, a pain like she'd never experienced before, and then nothing. Her sickness had completely left her body, and the Lord healed her right then and there and restored her life to her. Restored her life to somebody that had absolutely nothing, to a life that was completely gone, according to the doctors, and to a life to everybody else around that was no longer going to survive. What took place that day is by faith, we exercised our right, our right as Christians to access a life that is greater than ours. And what happened that day not only was seen in the physical realm, but it was seen in the spiritual realm. And the wisdom of God was manifested in a way that was absolutely incredible. You know, the Bible tells us, that says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Paul tells us, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And Paul uses that word triumph for a specific reason. He wants to lead his readers to what's called a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph in that day was a very glorious thing. A Roman general had to have won a battle that have killed uh, over 5,000 people at land or sea, either way, and had taken control of the victory. And then what happened, there would have been a huge parade. And this parade would have been, first would have come the Senate and the state officials. Secondly, would have came the people with trumpets and different instruments. Then would have came all the spoils of the war, the gold and the silver and everything taken from that land. And then there would have been models of ships and cities that they had conquered and then there would have been a white bull for sacrifice. And then the captives in the chains, shackled up, dragging the chains and fetters down the road for everyone to see. And then would come the priests, swinging the incense, throwing down flower petals. And then after that would come the general himself leading his victorious army. But this is the picture that Paul puts in our mind is that when he says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the great general. And God is causing us through Christ, He is leading us in that triumphal procession, and Jesus Christ is being glorified. He has risen from the grave. He has spoiled the principalities. And not only has He defeated the principalities, He made a fool of them. The Bible says in, 2, in Colossians 2.15, having spoiled the principalities, He made a show of them openly triumphing over them. God has given us victory, not only in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm, so we can be victorious in the physical realm. Paul says in verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by what? The effectual working of His 
power. You know, about two years ago, I had come to the point on the mission field where I literally could not handle the barrage of attacks, spiritual attacks that were coming my way. I'll just be flat out honest with you. It got to a point where day in and day out, it was just attack after attack of people that I had held dear as friends would turn on me um, for no reason. And, and everything I tried to um, put my hand to, it seemed like that it would, it would fall or falter in some way or another. And I just knew it was very unnatural. And you know, you realize that you, God will allow demonic attacks to come into your life in order that His greater purpose will be revealed. And we see that in the life of Job. God permitted demonic attack. God permitted Satan to put his hand to Job, except to everything but his life. But we know that there came a turning point in Job's ministry when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand in the latter days upon the earth. But I got to the point where I could not take any more, and I just had to withdraw from the ministry and take a few days and get up in the mountains. And I said, I'm not going to leave until I meet with the Lord. And I can't tell you everything that went on during that time, but the Lord revealed to me something that changed my ministry completely. You know, I had been very good at praying for what I thought the ministry needed. Praying for lost souls, praying for people to get saved. I was praying for lives to be changed, praying for churches to be started, everything that we should pray for. Okay, the Lord was showing me that I was praying for God's purpose to be conformed to my life. And that sounds really good if we say it fast enough and we don't think upon that, but that's wrong. We don't pray for God's purpose to be conformed to our lives. We pray for our lives to be conformed to God's purpose. I had it backwards. And when I started praying that God would reveal His divine purpose for my life and then conform my life to that, then the heavens broke open and the ministry with the refugees started. And God opened the door with them in such a way that I could never even explain or imagine what's going on. Now there's a need for preachers, English-speaking people, to go to English-speaking people. One of the hardest things about going to the mission field for me is learning the language and the culture. But now there's a need for people that can skip the language. And if you already speak English, you can go straight to ministering to the people. The, the, there's thousands and thousands of refugees on the southern border of Mexico across from Guatemala and at the northern um, border of Tijuana. There's thousands of more Cameroon, Cameroon refugees there. Two large English-speaking groups that have no one to help start a refugee church. And you could also reach people from Congo and Angola and other parts of Africa. But there are two large groups right now waiting for someone to come to them. Waiting for someone to come to them. And they're thirsty. They're hungry for the Word of God. And as we draw, as our lives become patterned after the purpose of God, this plan of redemption, it just, it just gets larger and larger and larger. And He lays more resources at our feet. But if we can be conformed to God's specific purpose for our life, that is where the power of the ministry is. He says, it was according to the effectual working of God's power. The effectual working is actually one word in the Greek. It's, where, it's the word energia. It's where we get the word energy. That means it's the activity of God's power. God's power is a result of the activity in which the power is delivered but it's that method of activity. It's the effectual working that Paul said that's where his calling came from. And as a result, God's power was displayed. But if we could focus for a moment on that energia, that, that, that effectual working, he's saying that because of that, that's why his ministry was so successful. That's why God 
decided to reveal through him the purpose of the church was because God's purpose, God's energia, was going and flowing through Paul and manifested the power of God. But when that happens, when we're patterned after God's specific purpose, and our intent is to fall in line with His purpose for the church, which is to manifest the wisdom of God in the heavens, then there's no restrictions. There's everything that we imagined, and God takes that and He crushes it. And if we won't get rid of it, He'll break us into tiny pieces with it. And He'll let us minister broken. And honestly, that's the best way to minister. If God can pull us apart and never allow us to be complete, that would be the greatest blessing of our lives, to minister broken. God revealed to Job what took place at the throne. One day, we're going to see the the fruit of our labors at the throne of God. God revealed to Job what took place at the throne. God revealed to Daniel what took place at the throne. John on the island of Patmos said that he saw lightning and thunder and heard great voices and and seven candles burning in front of the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And he saw creatures praising our holy and mighty God. God revealed to Isaiah, and he saw the angels worshiping, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God revealed to Jeremiah what was going on at the throne. He said it was a glorious throne. God revealed to Ezekiel, he said he saw a great wind and clouds and lightning And around the throne there was a bright light and there was fire. And he saw the shining greatness of the Lord and the light around him like a rainbow. And as we see in Scripture, God reveals what's taking place at his throne, knowing that those words would one day be recorded. It's because he wants you and I to know what is going on at his throne. One day, multitudes of people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, will bow down and praise God for who he is really is. And when the dust settles, we realize that the manifold wisdom of God was ultimately a final act of worship. Missions ultimately is an act of worship. We have an audience, not just with one another, but in the heavens. The angels and the enemy are watching what we do. The angels can't partake of it, the work of redemption, but we can And what a privilege that is. You know, as I began preaching in the refugee camps, I'll close with this. I could only be in one camp at a time. I was on the the Colombian side preaching, and the people that were getting saved were then being shifted over to the Costa Rican side. And the believers there, after they had received Christ, had decided that we may have nothing. We may be sick. We may be dying. Our parents and our relatives may be dead. We may be orphans, but we are going to worship God for who He is. And when you worship God, you make a disturbance in the spiritual realm. The enemy knows that the victory of Christ has gone forward in your life. And these people, they decided to get together, and you can imagine the broken state that they're in spiritually, physically, emotionally. They're sick. They have infections. Their children are, are dying. Their children are, are um, wasting away in front of their, their eyes because the government won't take care of them. And they don't have access to medicine. And it's a very bad thing. But they got together and they said, no matter what happens, we are going to worship the Lord and praise Him for who He is. I have a minute and 41 seconds that I'd like to share with you of one of the worship services. They would start worshiping for an hour, and then two hours, and then three hours, and then four hours every single night. The people from Cameroon, Africa... And um, I had an an opportunity just to kind of record a little bit of that. 
I'd like to close with that and share that with you tonight. And just think about this, the act of worship and what that means when it comes to missions. Because ultimately, we'll all be worshiping around the throne of Christ. So again, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing for missionaries. That's neat to see that you guys voted in on more. That's fantastic. May God's will be done with your life today. And I'd like to share the video now, the clip. Thank you.